from my fall to now, it's been just like I felt like I got to experience like everything from thinking I was gonna thinking I was gonna die for a second to just like holy shit, I'm paralyzed and fuck. Then all of a sudden, I'm like walking out of nowhere. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson. This week on the show, we've got something a little different. Mikey Saramella has edited together some interviews with Josh Moniz and Mason Ho to tell the first-hand accounts of the horrific back injuries that Josh suffered recently in Portugal. And hearing about a serious injury might not sound all that enticing, but it's it's really well put together and and pretty incredible story. So I highly recommend that. Before we get to that, let's catch up on this week's surf news with Big Dick Power Surfer, Stab's Editor-in-Chief, Mr. Brandon Buckley. Yeah, what's, what's been happening, Buckley? I'm, uh, I'm in the kingdom of Portugal, the former kingdom of Portugal, I should say. Yep. Waves are good, uh, busy, let's say that, it's busy, but really good forecast. I'm hearing little whispers that the Nazare Toe Contest might run on Monday. No way, and you're there for it. Yeah, yeah, gas up the skis, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Have you surfed Nazare at any size? Because I know it's surfable when it's small. Oh, yeah, I've surfed it a bunch when it's small. It's so fun. Is it? Oh, it's like the most fun wave in the world. It does exactly what it looks like in the big days, but when you surf that and it's like four foot, it's like the best. But uh, not really not really trying to get the ski going and going all GMAC. I haven't seen that show yet. I'm so desperate to see it. I'm not so desperate. I could have watched it, I guess, but I want to see it. The 100 foot wave? Yeah. Have you seen it? Well, I mean, I, I don't pay for HBO Plus, so I only get like the 60 foot wave. I cap out. <laughs> they, they don't. <laughs> Watch Kai Neville X Craig Anderson release Ceremony. So, this is a brilliant short film. Uh, what can you say other than it's just really fucking good? And would you not expect a Craig Anderson, Kai Neville film to be? Uh, one of those ones that's like not just, I feel like Kai and especially Craig with, um, what was the last one called? The the quieter you are, the more you could hear. I feel like they've struck a really like interesting balance between like surf porn and art film. Yeah. That seems really unique to me. Yeah. And this is like a another installment of that. And it's just like, you walk away from it and you want to go surfing, but you also feel like you watched something that was really well done. It's, it's, it's great. What do you think of it? Yeah, I loved it. I, I also think that there's certain directors out there that really love fucking with people's attention span. Like even Judd Apatow who makes comedies, he makes them go for two and a half hours. And I think Kai did that with his film a little bit. There's, there's so much, it's quite slow for the first three quarters and then he ramps it up. There's a lot of slow motion. There's a lot of like really long shots. And then he ramps it up heavily and, and you get that kind of real intensity. And, uh, and I just, I can't, Craig has got so much spring out of the lip. That it's messed up. He's just the weightlessness he has and just how much hang time he gets. And, and you, can, you can appreciate that in slow-mo, but when, it, when, it, when this film ramps up three quarters of the way through, you get to really see, I don't know, just him orbiting Buck. It's almost one of those things where you forget how good he is too, which is stupid because you definitely see enough of him. Like you can't make an argument that you don't see enough of him. Like he he's still pretty consistently putting stuff out. I guess he's not like hammering Instagram or anything, but 
I some his last few films have kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, oh shit, like yeah, Craig Anderson is still this good mm. and so well rounded too. You know, he's got airs like you said, but he's also just packing crazy, crazy waves. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a delight. The way it ends is 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 if anyone hasn't seen it, it's a it's definitely worth seeing. Not that people don't surf waves that size and that chunky, but the board he's choosing to to do it on is is the is the amazing part. We've actually got a soundbite. Let's play Sam McIntosh's interview with Craig about that, about his equipment choices. I mean, yeah, it's, I guess that's just what I've been into lately. Yeah, do you challenge yourself in riding uh, inappropriate equipment during, during this edit? Because I think pretty much the, you'd have to agree the most striking you ever did was the 5.4 of Ken Dewey. Yeah, I mean... That the last wave in my my clip, you know that I haven't spent much time out there. But guys are riding just gigantic surfboards, and um, I just don't. I've got some made up now, but I still don't really see myself sitting way out the back on a ten foot board and like snubbing a, a big pit. Why, um, why not? I don't know. It just that doesn't make too much sense to me. That that wave is it's real ledgy and. Yeah, just trying to get a big board down a ledge. I mean, Russ and Paul Morgan and there's a heap of guys that are, like, unbelievable to watch out there, but I just haven't been able to wrap my head around what they're doing. I mean, the board I rode was an old 6.3 that I think Hayden made for me when I was, like, 20 going to Hawaii. Um, no shit. It's, like, real knifey 6.3. It was pretty old. Things are, um, the thing's a single I, water ski by the sounds. What's that? The thing sounds like a single water ski. Yeah, no, it was. I think I, I peeled quickie stickers off. Um, <laughs> no. That just kind of made sense on that day. Um, but, yeah, the more I kind of look at that wave, I, I'm pretty keen to ride, try ride a hipto and just sit under it with the body waters. Um, but the 6.3 I rode felt fine on that wave. It's just – it's such a hard wave to ride. It just moves really fast. and You, you want to be on something small so you can kind of – shave your speed and those guys are riding big boards and trying to get behind the peak and that one sort of broke on a different part of the race it pushed over a bit wider and it was kind of there was just a few bodyboarders around me all rust and those guys were sitting sitting way out we're nowhere near it so yeah i don't know it's just a different i don't know what makes sense to me it makes no sense to other people but for some reason you know i just kind of keep pushing down that path or so, yeah. so what? You're going to paddle a five four out there? Not, not a chance, right? I mean, the, the five, the hippo's probably got as much volume as the board I rode, the fucking water ski board I rode <laughs> last week. Yeah, I'm completely wrong, but I mean, that's probably what I'm going to do if I surf that wave again. I love the term inappropriate boards. Um, I feel like people sometimes ask, like, is there another way to say? alternative boards or alternative equipment. I just think we go with inappropriate. Um, I'd like to just paddle out like a punchy breach strike one day and see somebody on like a 7-2 and be like, sir, that is inappropriate. <laughs> but it's it's pretty wild. That clip, that way it looks so hard to surf. Like it makes sense why people would have more volume to get into that thing. I mean, it looks like it's great once you're in, but to actually navigate that much moving water seems just ridiculous. Yeah, Craig just did the opposite and sat on the ledge and wants to ride a 5.4 next time and, and repeat his 
his hypto, his famous hypto crypto moment, the moment that launched Hayden Shapes um, to the number one best selling board of the year in yeah. what was that, two thousand and fifteen? Yeah. Uh, anyway, a great movie, and Kai's going to make another movie not too long from now with the winners of Stab Highway, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. We've got Kai. Not only was he a judge on the show, but he is actually the first prize, or at least his skills are. The winners will get a Kai Neville film made uh, on them or with them, them as themselves as the stars. And uh, it's, it's funny, like, chatting to a few of the surfers the other day, like Kai is such a talented and in-demand commercial director, which means he shows up in surf um, less frequently these days. But... Uh, when we were trying to come up with a prize for the, for the team that won Stab Highway, we were trying to, we wanted to land on something that surfers would desperately want to win. And um, we came up with two things like, so cash is the obvious first one. Who doesn't love cash, Buck? I love cash. Yeah. I mean, Amish people, maybe. Do they? How many, I'm not really sure. How many we'll barns have to check can with you, them. What, how many barns can you own? Maybe that's their whole thing. Maybe the Amish is just a whole money laundering thing, though. Maybe that's like, you know, they're just flying under the radar. Are, are they a religion or is that just a type of human? I think it's religious related. I hmm. think I, I think it's some sect of maybe Christianity, but I could be wrong. Why do religious people just fuck themselves up with their stupid rules? Like Amish people, they're not allowed to use any technology. Um I don't know. Obviously, Christians, no sex before marriage. You've got to show up to church every Sunday morning, like the worst time of the week to, to show up anywhere, to have a weekly commitment. <laughs> what is with these painful rules, Buck? I couldn't tell you. Uh, I am not a man who adheres to them, so uh, I can't really speak that personally. If I had to show up every Sunday somewhere, especially in the last decade of my life, uh, I don't think I'd be any place to kind of be face-to-face with God. <laughs> um, You'd be smelly. I'd be very smelly. I don't think God would appreciate that. No, he hates um, that. That's what he hates nah, the most, he hates stinky people. people. Yeah. That's why bums yeah. are like everyone thinks that the, a bum is, um, you know, stinks because they're outside, but they stink and then he turns them into bums. Yeah, that's how it works. So be careful. You got to be careful. Anyway, so and then the second idea for a prize we came up with was Kai Neville making a film on the winning team. And we just, we asked a bunch of the surfers uh, who were invited and, and so essentially it was either like, hey, you guys get 50K to split amongst the team or you get Kai Neville. And, and we spoke to Noah, Dion, Dakota, Wade, Holly, Jaleesa, um, Kobe Perkovich, and, and they all said they'd prefer the Kai film. So that's, um, that's a testament to how much people love his work, I guess. That or they didn't want to commit heresy in the church of Kai and, and – um, you know, say that they wanted cash. It's not really that socially acceptable to say that they people that you love money. I don't really know why, because I love money. It's, it's so useful, Buck. It's very useful. It's very useful. Uh, one thing it reminds me of is we ran an interview with Dion last week, and uh, the writer Ali asked him what he writes on his customs form when he goes to another country for occupation, right? Like, like you used to call yourself a surfer. Like he's so involved in so many different things. I guess you haven't had to do it for a while, but what, what are you writing on the immigration form, form on, under occupation these days? Have you always written surfer or have you always kind of had something funny that you write? Always surfer. Really? I'll do surfer until I'm clearly 
too old to be a surfer, but yeah, <laughs> never, never in my years of traveling have I ever run into problems <laughs> if you just put surfer. I just yeah. think yeah. it catches them so off guard that yeah. they don't even know what to say or do or whatever. I mean, even the states where it's like the strictest mm. immigration, I think it just is like this weird get out of jail free card, especially once they start asking you if you can pee and then you explain you're a free surfer. <laughs> By that point, they're like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm just going to let you stamp your passport and let you through. And we had a commenter who identifies as Ernie McCracken just say, Deanna Immigration, ever heard of Modern Collective? <laughs> so uh, the comment made me laugh. <laughs> but it just goes to show you how, how uh, powerful these, these films can be in our minds, like how much space they can occupy and how much we remember them, especially when Kai gets to it. So. It's cool. I, I look forward to seeing uh, seeing what happens there. Especially, I feel like Stab Highway has been so fun to watch that it's almost easy to forget it's a competition. You know, it's it's like looks like they're just having so much fun, and obviously there is the competitive theme. You get the scoreboard throughout it, but uh, it's it's getting to be crunch time. Yeah, it's heating up. Stab Highway coming down to the the last two teams. And if there is anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about or hasn't seen a single episode or doesn't subscribe to Stab Premium and also somehow doesn't have any friends that have a code that they can steal, their first episode is is on YouTube. What did you say? You're a loser. WSL retracts its new double qualifier rule at the heft of this. This is a mouthful. Isn't it? WSL retracts its new double qualifier rule at behest of petitioning QS surfers, some with shaving cream to question mark nipples. So we've been talking about this story on the drop for the past few weeks, and it's one of my favorite stories of the year. It's not like a huge thing, but it's just so funny how it evolved. Um, if you haven't been following along, basically the WSL changed a rule where if in the past, if you were 11th place on the Challenger Series or QS, the qualifying tour, they'd take the top 10. And if somebody double qualified, meaning they qualified on both the CT and the QS, the 11th person would get in. Now they said, okay, if somebody double qualifies, we're going to do whatever we want in that spot. And so as this title suggests, there's a petition. There was a fellow with shaving cream on his nipples and a massive group thread. There's a few articles on staff. There's a bunch of comments on Instagram. It snowballed in this whole thing. And it actually snowballed so far that the WSL changed the rule, which is incredible. Um, I think it's really incredible because it's such a weird, granular thing to care about. Like, why really does anybody care besides like the one or two servers that might have been affected by the double qualification thing? Uh, but seeing like the surf community as a whole get around it. Like I said, like we'd post about it on Instagram, we'd have like hundreds of comments screaming at the WSL about this, just like tiny little detail. And that, that fascinated me. What, what did you think, Danny? Yeah. I mean, being the CS podcast that we are, it didn't surprise me so much, Buck. And I just wonder if stab had a hand in influencing this decision because there was a lot of reporting on the site. Obviously we talked about it a lot on the drop and then Mikey had an incredible interview with Kanoa Igarashi and, and, and Stace and Mike talked about it in a, a bunch and I just wonder if, if, we, if we had an influence there. 
I think we had to. I mean, even when so when the CS was in France and I was seeing old friends and everything, that's when I first learned about this. I knew about the rule and I wrote an article about it. And then somebody kind of pulled me aside and was like, hey, there's this petition, there's this whole like movement against it. And they were kind of nervous to give me this information because they were like, oh, we don't want it to like blow up in our fate. Like we didn't want the WSL to think anything weird's happening. And I kind of said, hey, I think this will just bring a lot of attention to this and be good for this cause. Like I, I wouldn't want to like, I'm not going to play this up to be like a, you know, a thing like everybody's going behind the WSL's back and they're talking to media, whatever it is. And I said, hey, I want to make the case that this is the way it should be and that I should just get this information out there. I think people would agree that it should go to the CS surfers. Um, and so I just think about that conversation I had and seeing it snowball so far as them actually changing the rule. I'd like to think that us kind of talking about it and especially encouraging a dialogue on it, I, I, I would say we got in there. Um, right. I do. I do have to say one thing though. I've had to kind of, as new information came in, I had to update a few times. And at first I said that it was whipped cream on the nipples. Um, then I went to shaving cream and my final call is I think it was toothpaste. Hmm. Um, so if you weren't following along, there was a mega group thread with like over a hundred people in it, mostly CS surfers. And one of the younger kids, Crosby Cole Pinto just bombed through a photo of him shirtless <laughs> with his nipples in some sort of white paste. And then got kicked out of the group because everybody was being real serious and didn't appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so good. As we're kind of closing the book on this story, I think I had one more look at the photo and, and you can see a thing of toothpaste in the frame actually. And I think it is toothpaste. I think that makes the most sense to me. Um, but my final call is toothpaste and I'm happy the WCL changed that rule because granular, but still is the right thing to do. Um, especially with how much money you have to spend and chase the, the CS and so many people like without sponsors pretty much going in debt to try to get on the CT. Uh, it was the right call to give it back to them. It's, it's funny, you know, like it's so hard. It's, it's actually so much harder than even participating in some of the reality TV formats that exist out there. You'd almost go as far as to say that competing on that, comp in, in that, on that tour and making it to the top within the top 10 makes you somewhat of an ultimate surfer you are the ultimate surfer yeah yeah i just it, just it just totally dawned on me just then i don't know if this is even an original thought the governing body of surfing has two coexisting world tours that crown champions all year long and then they started a show called the ultimate surfer that was like so so far removed from that like they already have the ultimate surf anyway we shouldn't be bringing that up again <laughs> Apologies to everyone who's so tired of that nauseating Sorry, um, Dana White criticism. Too. Oh, yeah, Apolog and of course, Apologies. friend of the show, Dana White. Apologies. Listen, man, I'm all about killers. I'm all about fucking you going and you fucking destroy everybody else. Long live the CS, long live the Ultimate Surfers, and long live Toothpaste. Yeah, and you know that satisfying feeling you get when you brush your teeth? Oh, yeah. Imagine that feeling when you put toothpaste on your nipples and the whole governing body of surfing just changes its mind. <laughs> Leanne Curran directed, produced, edited, scored, and starred in this Vans women's surf film. So that's directed, produced, edited, scored, sorry, that's five. So that's five roles that Leanne Curran had in this film. 
and good for her because the whole thing is great. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to pronounce the name of the film. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give it a whirl, Buck. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Cadavre. <laughs> Cadavre. Cadavery X, uh, that's going to be like a K sound, I think. Cadavery X, Ecus. No, the use like sort of a long O sound, isn't it? Cadavre Ecus. <laughs> okay, I think maybe we've actually, I was talking to Leanne yesterday and I've got her to record a little something about the film for us. So let's just maybe see if we can clear up the pronunciation and hear from her. Cadavre <laughs> X. <laughs> Or uh, the exquisite corpse. It's a it's a game when you make a collaborative piece of art, and you sometimes you just start a drawing on a piece of paper, then you fold the paper, and somebody else takes it from there without seeing what you did, and keeps drawing, and then they fold the paper, and it goes to someone else, and it can be also made with like words and poems. And yeah, it's like something we've been talking about doing with the girls in the team for for a year or two now. We just always kind of wanted to um, make a video all together and maybe go on a trip or make something. But then COVID happened last year and with all this time on our hands and we're all still surfing and doing stuff like, I mean, I brought the idea to the girls and everyone was super keen to make it happen. So we've been talking about it for a while and it all kind of came together um, earlier this year and we started filming. Um, you know, each one was filming, filming and directing their section and trying to put as much of their DNA into the film, um, whatever they like to express themselves, like either surfing, music, um, animations, paintings, and to do that, we um, we kind of went alphabetical order and sent each other clips. Really, I was kind of in the middle, receiving clips from someone, sending them to the next person, just like one or two, the last image or just something that they could start from. And so that's kind of how we made it, the process of making it, and that's it. And yeah, just wanted to give a huge thank. Thank you to Vance, to uh, everyone who contributed. Like there's at least um, maybe 15 filmers, all the inspiring women in the film, all the surfers. Like uh, it's pretty beautiful how much like yeah how much time and effort everyone put into this, and it shows how much uh, respect and um, how much respect we have for each other and and uh, admiration. So it turns out I was pretty exact on the pronunciation, Buck. Nailed it. And the and the the actual translation to English means exquisite corpse. It does. Did you get conceptual on on on, on trying to like find the meaning in this movie? I have not. Um, not a big necro guy personally, <laughs> but. Uh... <laughs> That's what it made me think about. Like I heard exquisite corpse and it made me think of Marilyn Monroe because she died young. I think she was like 36 or something and she was beautiful when she died and so she never she never aged. 
like so bad, you know. So for a little, little while there she was that. Anyone who dies young is quite an exquisite corpse, I guess, for, for a very short amount of time. Of course then the, the flesh rots and stinks and, you know, et cetera. Well, I mean, it is, it is a term. It isn't just two words put together. It is actually a term that means a method by which a collection of words or images is collectively assembled, which is exactly what the film is. It was COVID time and nobody could travel to go on a trip together. So there's all these kind of independently made parts that were stitched into a, a complete piece. Yeah. So, you know, I typically, yeah. I, I don't, not really, typically I'm not into films that, blend longboarding, shortboarding and everything in between. But this one had such a like defined aesthetic that I feel like it, they – or she, sorry, she's the – she did every role. She's the human shifting spanner that pulled it together. I feel like she, she really pulled it off and the whole thing was like had this seamless aesthetic thread that, that really worked. Yeah, I think between the aesthetic and the music, which mm. you know, she made the music too, um, it really does have that constant feel, which is sick. It's a, Really cool movie. And the other thing that was like distinctly unique to me was there hasn't been that many all-female surf films and the famous one that everyone refers to was Leave a Message from, from Nike which came out in 2011 but that was still like a really typical surf film format of the time and it was directed and shot and edited by two guys. It was Jason Kenworthy and Aaron Lieber. And then Surfing which was a Dan Scott film was – that came out early in the year. That was all female, um, high performance uh, film, but it was still uh, a bunch of guys that worked on it. Whereas this one definitely had its own and refreshing sort of take on the whole look and feel of the thing that felt feminine in a way that I've never seen a surf film film before. It reminds me too. We've we just did an interview. One of our writers, Mimi, did an interview with Robin Van Jean, who is I think just you can't say anything, but she's one of the best snowboarders in the world and big backcountry stuff. I know she's a guide too. Uh, she's incredible. She won like the equivalent to like a backcountry world title this year, which I'm not huge into snowboarding, but I know it's really fucking impressive. Um, she's got a movie coming out or a series called Fabric where instead of focusing on performance, basically her whole thing is focusing on people who are committed to growing the community and it's going to be a bunch of women in surf, skate, and snow who that's kind of the, the criteria, right? Like, like giving back to their community. It doesn't matter what you can do on the board as long as you're like trying to grow your sport and grow, add to the culture. Uh, you're in the film. And it's really cool. She's talked to some big wave surfers, some small wave surfers. It's going to be really well done. And that's coming. I think the episodes are going to start dropping this month too. So go check out that interview on the site too because it's, uh, it's super interesting. It's going to be a great project. Foiler gets his board smashed with Boulder for Wave Piggery under the Golden Gate Bridge. And just what a title that is. I mean, when you got <laughs> boulders, you got pigs, you've got this iconic really feat of architecture or of uh, engineering really. Uh, you got foils. It, it's really, it's the title has everything. Yep. And the video that it's hinting at is, it's exactly what's described. And it got me thinking. So I remember I had this experience a few years ago where I would listen to like live sports games in the car sometimes, some football if I was driving or baseball even. And you could, the commentators would paint like a picture, like you could see what was going on based off the words they were saying. And I remember I tried doing it with surfing once and I just had no idea 
what's happening. They just be like, here he goes. He jams the hook. And it's like, I don't know what that looks like. What, what does that mean? I don't know. Um, and so, it, and that's not a knock on, on WSL commentators. I think it's just so, our sport is so visual that it's hard to really describe like a good turn in words. But since this is a clip that we're talking about, I do want to see if we can commentate it. So uh, you want to give it a shot? Play let's, and see if we can let's do it. make it happen? Okay, ready? Okay, we're going to hit play at the same time. On yeah. Gothic Dolphins, One. Instagram, Alex Cops. Yep. Okay. Yep. One, two, three. Yep. So we've got the guy. He's foiling out the back. There's a crowd. There's a supper. Oh, he's a, he's a regular foot. He's coming in. Oh, he's aiming at like 10 people. Looks like he's got a helmet on. What do you got here, Danny? He doesn't look hyper confident or skilled. Yet he is no, he doesn't. He's he's nursing a knife-like surfboard through the crowd. Okay, and then we just we cut scenes quickly, and now we're on the beach, and we've got the rock, and it's just throwing. There's a man. He looks like a penguin man. He's got a bald head, <laughs> and he's just taking a rock over his head and just belting the board with it. Is the word boulder a bit much? I mean, I'm not sure if that <laughs> if that rock was really a boulder. Yeah. What do you think in general? Like, let's. I mean, something you know I love is trial by media. So let's try and break down the ethics of this case here. Do you think it's it's justified? It's really hard to tell without, I mean, if that was just one wave and that was that, then no. It's hard to tell without all the details. And reading into it, it does sound like the guy had been doing that kind of throughout the day and was really annoying people. And as he called out, he doesn't look that skilled. Mm-hmm. Um which shows if your board washes into the beach and it's a foil, then okay, that's that's a problem. You just let this weapon drift through an entire lineup. Yeah, um, catching too many waves is one thing, but being whipped in through a crowd on a yeah a knife surfboard, that's a whole other problem. You just throw. You just you might as well just have a sword chopping through the lineup. Like it's, it's legitimately dangerous. Uh, a bit much probably to to go the rock route, but. Well, I don't know. Is it because it's like, I don't, I don't back senseless violence, but this is somewhat practical violence. They smash his board up and he's no longer he, he, taking too many waves. And you know what? I think if you have enough money to afford a foil and then a boat to tow you in to Fort Point, uh, to the wave under the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, it's not like it's not like a you could assume this guy had some money, right? Like that makes me more okay with it. It's one thing if like somebody messed up and you, you damage their equipment, that's not cool. If it's, you know, they might not be able to afford a new board or whatever, even if they made a big mistake, but this guy, I mean, he's, he's probably got some coins. San Francisco is expensive. He's towing in with a boat. Like yep. maybe, maybe it was the appropriate response. Yeah. I feel like it's fair, but Hey, I've got another theory on this. Watching this clip sent me on this t- tangent and it's, it's what I call surfboard inflation. And I was thinking like back in the 90s when everyone was riding these super pointy and refined low volume shortboards and there wasn't much variety in, in what you would see in the water. It was almost like a pretty level playing field. The only thing that really decided who got the most waves was fitness and wave knowledge. And then in recent times, we've seen a a complete shift and so there's just more and more volume entering the water and people went from floating around on really narrow boards to, to 
much bigger, more foam-friendly boards in being socially acceptable in the, in, and, and available. And if you're now trying to compete on a really refined shortboard, it's like it's really tough. So you can't catch as many waves. Yeah, people, people are typically like riding uh, bigger volume boards now just so they can compete. And I just see this going on and on and on. And, and it felt like we, re- we reached like a breaking point where inflation had just like peaked when the mid-length, which is essentially the Minimal rebranded, started showing up everywhere. And if anyone, everyone gets like inflation, right? Like you buy a thing of milk and it costs a dollar and then down the track it, you go to buy that same item and it costs more. Like money just becomes less valuable over time and foam becomes less relevant over time. And I just thought, well, the mid-length is clearly the peak of surfboard volume inflation, but the hydrofoil is a whole nother thing. Can you imagine trying to surf in a lineup where you, you, there's the majority of people riding hydrofoils, like taking off kilometers further out to sea than you and you just can't get a single wave? You know, I had this story for a piece that I'm not sure if I'm going to pursue it, but I thought a funny title would just be Ban Longboards with a little asterisk. And I mean, you think about it and there are waves that are known as longboard waves and there are waves that are known as shortboard waves. It's like unspoken, obviously. It's not like if you paddle out either one with the wrong board, like, you know, I probably wouldn't go to Malibu on a, on a 5.8. I know a lot of people do, but like, I'd be like, that's a longboard wave. Like, I'll just let them have it. Mm-hmm. And Likewise, you probably wouldn't go to lowers um, on a nine six. Well, you're Again, not allowed you to do it. There's only one person really that's allowed to do that, right? Herbie Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think Joel Tudor does it sometimes too. Maybe oh, okay. he goes. He probably gets away with but it. But it got me thinking. Like, I wonder because we may have talked about it before, but with the kind of surge that surfing has seen with COVID. Um, I think we're tripping if we think that new surfers are going to go anywhere. It's just too fun to ever want to stop, I think. And so I'm like, what is, what are things going to look like in 10, 20 years? And I wonder if it's just like those unspoken rules of like which boards require which waves would get made more formal. And because it is frustrating, there's nothing more frustrating than like waiting patiently and then having just foam continuously chip somebody in the wave that you're just waiting for that you, you can't catch them from out far. Mm. And you see a lot of that. You see it more and more. Um, and so, yeah, I was thinking about writing an article that kind of trolls everybody about it, but explores that idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Craig. The only way he could get that wave at that ledging left was to sit with the bodyboarders and, and wait for ones that slip past all the guys on the guns. And yeah, maybe there should be some sort of priority. The smaller the board, the first pick. If you think about it, like the whole hierarchy out there, like Kai Lenny could have swooped in from Maui on his foil and just kind of tucked into that thing, scooted back over, hit Fiji on the way back, and that guy can just ride across the ocean. So he's kind of at the hierarchy of everything, I think, at this point. Um, if you get a wave in any situation, it's under Kai's priority because he could have gotten there and probably surfed it <laughs> or foiled it, sorry. That's really good. Yet another surf rack goes up in flames in Waikiki. This is crazy. This is the third time in the past two years. Um, the last time was in October. We talked about it here where 600 boards went up in flames. This fire is a lot smaller. A few dozen boards is what I'm understanding uh, is the damage. Uh, one interesting thing is the, the October fire 
they did find somebody they think is responsible for it. He's doing court this week, and he's actually facing up to 20 years in prison. Shit. Uh, the articles I've read said they can't. They have not been able to establish a motive. Huh. Uh, really weird. I, I guess we'll learn more once the – I think he's due today, Thursday, in, in the court in Hawaii. So maybe we'll learn more about the motive as the court case kind of unpacks. But – you know, we are a true crime podcast. We're, we're a challenger series, surf news, true crime podcast. And so I think we may have, I don't know if it's too late to get this into the court, but I think we have a surf sin that may, may kind of, the judge might want to kind of hear before he makes any ruling here. Yeah. So this is a surf sin slash PSA slash, I don't even know what, um, you guys were talking about the Waikiki board club fire uh, recently and saying that it could have been arson. And it got me thinking about something that happened to me a few years ago where my uh, surfboards caught fire, started the fire with my surfboards, and it nearly burned down my house, nearly killed my cat and my neighbor uh, if it wasn't for the fire department acting quickly. But I basically got a phone call while I was at work from a neighbor saying that your house is on fire which is never a phone call you want to hear. So I rush home as fast as I can, and it was put out, thankfully. But basically, my I had a board bag um, and a couple other boards, maybe four boards leaning up against my house. Yeah, so that, that fire almost burned into my house. It was seconds away from going inside our house. It already burned, started to burn through the wall. And if it would have gone inside the house, it would have been minutes before the entire house was was inflamed. We couldn't figure out what the hell that was, um, why surfboards would just look like they suddenly just burst into flames. <clears throat> and then days later, it dawns on me that I had used Sticky Bumps, wa- Sticky Bumps wax remover, and I'd used a rag that I'd been soaked in that stuff. And then I threw that rag in the pocket of my travel, my surf travel bag. And, you know, I'm wondering, I started to piece it together, like, oh, you know, you can't put oily rags in the trash or in a pile because as they start to break down and oxidize, they release heat and they get hot. And that's and if you don't uh, if you don't have them aired out where they can release that heat, those rags will literally burst into flames. A lot of fires get started that way. So I'm like 99% certain that's what happened now. I guess the surfsin portion is you know, I said, whatever insurance money I get out of this, I'm going to put that back into the local economy and get some locally shaped boards here at Ocean Beach. And, uh, and I didn't. The interesting thing about this one, Buck, let me just say before you start, is Kyle Luke, a man with two first names, sent us this surf in, surfs in, in before the third fire and then followed up with another email that said, I don't know if my suspicions about what happened to my boards is correct or related to recent fires on Oahu, but I can't find any other remotely plausible ignition source for my fire. And my dad, who is a retired battalion fire chief, agrees with me that this is most likely the cause. It's just, it's insane. Like we've talked about before, but the, the range of things that people have confessed to us from just like, oh, I, you know... I told everybody I was going in on my last wave and it didn't like just a small thing to now just a fire that, that almost burnt out. Like it's, we've got quite a range here. And when I first heard this one, I'm like, okay, this is, 
is this just a mistake or is this a sin? Mm. And I think that, you know, he, he sounds like a pretty substantial fire. I think we are in the sin territory. Uh, negligence is a sin in surfing, I think. I mean, negligence, you're right. It is, it is sin-like. And, but at the same time, there was no intent. It was a genuine mistake, it would seem. But to me, I just thought the surf sin was probably just the ownership of unnecessary surf accessories. They, that kind of really grinds my gears. You know, there's a million of them and there's just a million things you don't need. But I think more than anything, one that we don't need is wax remover, right? Have you ever used wax remover? No, is it good? It's so good. I don't use it anymore. I have this thing called pickle, but the pickle, like it's great. And it's, I think a bit cleaner than the, you know, I don't light my house on fire with it. Um, <laughs> but all the little pressure dings that you get, all the dents in your deck, the pickle can get in there. It's basically this like almost spongy thing that's foam in the middle. You can just kind of scrape the wax out and your board gets so clean. But uh, I used to use wax remover and man, that makes your board shiny. It like melts the wax off. So I get why you'd use it. Um, it, if you like shiny boards, it's, it might be worth burning down your house. It's, it's, I'm not going to tell people how to live their lives, but it's like, I hate changing ponchos, but I, I gotta say I, I wax remover is valuable. It works. I just, I like Rocky's rule, one board, one wax job. And I live by that rule unless you go from somewhere that's super tropical to really cold and, and you've got to. You've got to start again, but yeah, I've never used wax remover. Can't you just use mineral turpentine and wax comb and, and just get through it that way? You can. I mean, my like I said lately, I've been a pickle guy, but I have been a wax remover guy in the past. It's funny that you bring up Aki's rule because the pendants I had in mind was, so the guy in Hawaii is looking at 20 years of time in prison. I think Kyle here has to go 20 years living by Aki's rule, like he, and warm water, cold water, everything, like he doesn't get that liberty to change because, oh, I'm going to Bali and I'm going to take my winter wax off. Nope, that's not going to work, Kyle. You got to go Aki's rule for 20 years of your life. No changing your wax job. Get rid of this rag that's going to keep lighting your house on fire. And uh, 20 years from now, if you want to, you can scrape your wax off again. Wow. I like that. I really like that, Buck. It's full on, but it's fair. Yeah, so it seemed that surfboard factories go up in flames all the time, Buck, or at least there's, there's been a bunch in the past, a couple of um, really notable ones. So this theory is, is one that I feel like is it, it makes a lot of sense. There's so many chemicals and, and things that can spontaneously catch a light when the, there's change of temperature and, and, and different scenarios. You know, um, one year Sam McIntosh was interviewing John John in Hawaii and he really wanted to he really wanted to get John to commit to an answer but he thought the only way he could do it was to give him this hypothetical and he and he said hey if Pizel's factory went up in smoke whose shaper's boards would you ride John actually answered DHD Darren Hanley out of the Gold Coast and then a year later Darren Hanley's factory burnt down ooh yeah and i mean the obvious Suspect was Pizel. Never charged for that crime, but uh, I think if I think if anyone did their own research, it'd be pretty obvious to see what happened there. Wow, 
the you know the Pukas factory burnt down not too long ago too, and coincidence that they had done well in Stab in the Dark right around the same time. Hmm. Oh, where does John John live? What island? Yeah, I think he might live in Oahu. Uh, huh. John Pazza, where, I mean, I, yeah, there's where's a, Waikiki. Huh. <laughs> interesting. Huh. Interesting. Thanks, Buck. And please don't forget to send your surf sins in. Buck's email is in the episode description, as is mine. Buck at stabmag.com, Danny at stabmag.com. And now we have Mikey Saramella from The Cusp. You know Mikey from The Cusp. He does a cusp with Stace Galbraith. Uh, You also know Mikey from Words He Writes on stabmag.com. You also know Mikey just from kicking around without a shirt on any chance he gets. So let's hear his piece with Josh Moniz and Mason Hove. The following story follows Josh Moniz's traumatic incident on Thursday, October 7th, 2021 in Peniche, Portugal. On this day, Josh was shaking off his loss in a nearby WSL Challenger Series event with a session at Super Tubos. The waves were overhead and barreling, but not especially frightening. It's a day that most pro surfers would simply call. Pretty fun. Despite the playful conditions, Josh was slammed so hard on the sand that he was temporarily paralyzed from the neck down leading to a heroic rescue effort by a few nearby surfers whose names you'll likely recognize. Whoa, what was that? We'll let Josh take it from here. Apologies in advance for the audio quality. I had no idea this would end up as a podcast. The waves were pretty fun. The sandbar was super trippy. Like The sand was just like, it was the first wall they had, so the sand was kind of just like, not the best, kind of just patchy with shallow spots. Um, I was like midway through my session, had a few fun waves, and the, the wave I got injured on was coming in, um, and it looked perfect. It was like seemed like the set of the day, and then it was going right over to where he was. That's Mason Ho, who, alongside Japanese surfer Rayo Inaba, helped rescue Josh after the incident. Mason will provide the second perspective for this story. And I was like, oh, Josh is going to score the wave of the day. Freaking so lucky. And I was kind of laughing when I was getting it because it, it's such, it's so hard to catch waves out there. And this perfect wave was coming to me. And then I seen him go on it. I assumed he just got super barreled. Took off, thought I was in a good spot. And then the wave kind of just like bent off the soundbar and it caught a little weird. And I was a little deep to like make it around the section without getting barreled and it, the wave ended up just crumbling and I tried to come around the section. I just got stuck behind the wave and straightened out. So I just flicked my board out and I remember my one of my feet hitting the water first and it felt like the wave just grabbed my leg, flipped me around, right on my head on the sand. It felt like I didn't even hit water, just like just straight impact to the sand. Just boom. I, I knocked out for a second, but it felt like more like not from hitting my head. It just felt like when I hit my whole all my nerves felt like it just completely shocked my body like my body just went into shock and it felt like i fainted more than like like an instant knockout and next thing i remember i was underwater and i just remember telling myself or just to wake up like wake up wake up you gotta wake up and i woke up i was like holy shit okay like i'm up i'm okay the whole time i was super relaxed i was like oh okay trying to figure out what was going on and i was like yeah i gotta swim up to the surface and i went to i went to do a swim and just my body was this zero reaction and 
right there I realized I was like, holy shit, what's going on? I couldn't move anything. Tried to go again and just nothing. My from my neck down, I just had no feeling, no movement, anything. It felt like it felt like my body was just like whatever position it was in, it was just felt like it was stuck there. Just like almost like when you see those videos of people knocking out and like their bodies are just like stiff and flexing. And that's exactly what I felt like, but I couldn't move anything. And I was, I knew exactly what was going on. I was like, holy shit. I never thought I'd be this guy right now in this position. Just, I'm not really a reckless surfer, I'd say. I'm pretty calculated and safe or whatever. Like my younger brother, like Seth is like, I'd say he's reckless. Like he's crazy. Like he's one of those guys that are just standing in going for it. I'm not really that guy. I'm super careful with everything I'm doing. And like, fuck the way I fell. No one's going to be like, no one's going to be looking at me because I just, it looks so normal the way I fell. So I was like, I, I already got ready. I was telling myself, you're going to, this might be a long one. I looked back just to like kind of see where, how far he went in the barrel or just see what he did. And when I looked back, I kind of seen his board, like just tugging, you know? And, and then I was like, okay, he's probably just thought the usual, you know, just kind of glanced. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if he made that. Luckily, since I was in, the water was pretty cold, so we're in full suits. I floated up to the top before the next wave hit me. And every time I'd get to the surface, I couldn't, like, fully get my head out, but I'd get my eyes and, like, my nose or lips would just get out. And as soon as I came out, instead of taking a breath, I, like, I got a little, like, help out. I was, like, trying to, I tried to say help. And when I looked back out, I heard, like, a, like, a, like, a, not a clean help, but, like, a, like a little yell and i was like whoa what was that my friend who actually ended up hearing me reo inaba he said it sounded like i was mumbling but I, I remember like trying to say the words being it was like my brain wasn't really like i just wasn't really functioning yet out of the corner of my eye i see rio like paddling towards him but not too fast yet just kind of like paddling like looking at him and paddling and so i was like oh shit i was like if rio's paddling i'm gonna paddle too so I, so I turned, I, I started paddling towards him. And as, as I was paddling, I was kind of paddling, I was like paddling. And then I, I slowly noticed like as the milliseconds were going by, I was like, whoa, he's not going for his board. So I slowly started picking up my, my pace paddling, like paddling faster and faster and faster. And then all of a sudden when like one Mississippi went by, I was already like, it was like one Mississippi to mississippi i was like oh shit and then i started like kicking like like a paddle battle for a contest or something so i was like just trying to get to him as fast as i could but every time i'd pop up in between waves too i was always pointing towards the beach and like i wouldn't i'd be able to see but then i couldn't ever really get my head and nose out of the water and I'd, I'd always be pointing towards the beach and I couldn't see any commotion on the beach ever. So in my head, I was like, fuck, no, like, no one realizes I'm, I need help yet. I was watching his head and or his body just go down. Like, cause at first it, it was just his neck, his head was above the water. And I just slowly watched it like go down, you know, like the water line went past his mouth, past his nose and then past his head. But I, I think I got hit by like three waves and on the third wave, that's when I was kind of like running out of breath and I was in my head, I was kind of just like, okay, well, I think I, I'm pretty sure you're, I'm about to pass out. Like I was just about to get to him and Rio got to him and went to grab him to pull him up. And I came up 
right out of the water and I can just get my eyes out and I seen Rail, Inaba and a group of guys all sprinting in and that was just like the biggest relief ever. I was like, Oh, okay, I'm okay. And I got there maybe like a like a second or two after Rio and then I, I just remember I ditched or I put my board on the side and then I helped him we, we helped pull him up and then when we pulled him up I was like whoa or we were like whoa kind of tripping but the wave was already there's a wave coming right behind us so when the wave went to hit him I, I just remember Rio had a little bit more of like a grip on him so I I went to push the boards because our, our boards were out in front of our heads so like like say if the wave came josh's and rio's board was gonna go slam into josh and rio so i pushed the boards on the side and then the wave hit hit us boom and then when i we all came up from it i came up and i looked at rio and rio was by himself didn't didn't have josh anymore so i was like oh shit and by that time there was another guy that was over there his name's Nick Wapner. He's like a lifeguard from California. But he, by that time, he was like right next to us too. So I looked, I like, I'm like, okay, I seen the guy Nick. Oh shit, that's not Josh. I looked at Rio. Oh shit, that's not Josh. And I was like, okay, Josh is somewhere around here underneath. Cause then you could see Josh's board, like not tombstoning, but tugging and not moving. So I think we all started scanning for Josh and he was like underwater and then somehow i was like the or i i put my arm under and i felt like his arm so i grabbed him from under his armpit and like pulled him up boom and and um like me rio and nick we weren't even really by each other anymore we had like maybe five feet or something maybe more or less five feet in between each other so when i grabbed josh i like lifted him up and i i pulled him up kind of put my arm under his armpit and put his armpit over my shoulder and then i looked at josh and i was like hey i was like hey josh i was like what what's hurt and he just looked at me he's like my back or neck i can't really feel i can't feel anything right now i'm like hey guys it's his back like watch out for his back and then when the wave was gonna hit us i was thinking fuck there's no way i'm letting him go because because i remember the or the first wave i thought we had him already and it was saved but then he got knocked out of rio's hands so on when the second one hit us i was like there's no way i'm letting him go i'm I'm holding on to him but i was like trying to be careful of his back and so we went under the water boom got worked and then when we're underwater i thought since it was super tubes like the sandbar i thought okay i'm just gonna like stay underwater and put my feet on the bottom and just like push his body up above the water like with my two arms and keep him above the water and then we'll grab him kind of grab him off of me so i could like swim up for air and then when i was holding him i kind of went under and i, and I thought i was going to be able to touch the bottom but i couldn't because i was like so short or whatever so i was like underwater like oh no i can't get up and so i kind of like swam up with them and then tried to put my head above the water for a second and then the boys were kind of like already boom right there and then and then another wave hit us boom and then and then we got washed in a little bit more when we got close to the shoreline i was like hey does anyone know the sea thing because i heard there's like that thing that they do when people break their back or their neck or whatever but i didn't know the name of it this guy nick from california he's a lifeguard so he was able to put me in a sea spine and like brace my neck he came like right in and knew exactly what to do and kind of 
like took charge of local rescue. I was super lucky he was there. And then I'm like, Josh, where do you want me to go? How do I, how do you want me to carry you? And he was just kind of like, any, anyway, just get under me. Or he's like, get, get under my butt. And I was like, okay. And then the guy, Nick, kind of, I went to go get him. And Nick's like, yeah, put your hands there. Hold him like this. And I was like, okay. And then I just did what the Nick guy said. And only until they started carrying me up the beach, that's when I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm paralyzed from the neck down. Like, I couldn't feel a thing. My body was just completely numb. I was like, in my head, I was trying to move things. And I, I couldn't move a thing. I was like, whoa. And then we, we put him down. And we put him down on a surfboard. They got me down on the beach. And I just started trying to relax and not panic. We asked him, hey, how, how are you feeling? Is, is, do you have any feeling anywhere? And I just got like this rush of just felt like electric going through my body. Just pins and needles just started shooting down my whole body. That was probably the scariest moment because I could feel everything, but it was real faint. At, but I, in my head for a bit, I thought that's like, I thought that's when everything was going to shut off. I was like, holy shit. I was like, is this it? This is like, this is like the last feeling I get before I'm not going to feel anything again. And then that lasted like 20, 30 seconds of it being like real intense. And then it kind of settled down. And then maybe right after that, they started, everyone just started checking my feet and hands and everything. I just kind of barely started massaging, you know, that weird little pressure point in the middle of your thumb and your pointer finger. Gently started trying to, like, just kind of pump it a little bit. I didn't want to, like, pinch all hard or do anything gnarly just in case I didn't know how it all worked. But I kind of, like, massaged his hand a little bit. And then I kind of looked up, hey, Josh, is, is this helping a little bit? Or is it, if it's annoying, just tell me to get away, you know? And he's like, no, it's, it's, it's okay. It's good. So I was like, okay. And then I kind of sat there and kept doing it. And then all of a sudden I felt like a little, boof, like I felt him kind of move his hand in my hand. And I was like, whoa. I think that's a big reason why I kind of started getting my feeling in my feet pretty quick. After like a couple minutes of go by again, you know, how are you feeling? Is everything okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? And then he's like, yeah, no, I'm, the tingles are getting less and less. That was my whole focus until I got to the hospital. It was just trying to like, stay as calm as I could and be as positive and happy as I could in that moment, just being alive, you know, so. After the rescue, Josh was airlifted to a hospital in nearby Lisbon, where he consulted with doctors about the next steps for his treatment and recovery. I ruptured my C6, C7 disc, and then I fractured my C6 facet. So it's pretty much like the little wing to your vertebrae, like on the sides, it kind of keeps everything balanced from what I understand. These spinal injuries required surgery, and Josh was advised not to return to the U.S. as his neck wasn't stable enough to endure air travel. I got hurt on the Thursday, got all my tests, and I was trying to figure out at the hospital why they're trying to rush into everything. And I, I was like, whoa, like, I, I'm not going to rush into a surgery. I don't even understand what happened to me or what, what you guys are saying because they speak Portuguese over there. They wanted to rush it because Friday was the last day of surgery. So I had to sit in the hospital on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I got surgery on Monday. So it sucked. I was literally in the hospital bed for those four days in the most brutal neck brace of ever. Just, I couldn't really move. They didn't want me to move too much, and I was just laying on my back. 
Fortunately, Josh's mom, Tammy, and girlfriend, Isabella, made the long trip from Hawaii to Portugal to be by Josh's side and help him out in any way they could. They are freaking helping so much and keeping me calm and everything. They're just by my side the whole time, helping, doing everything they could. Following the surgery, Josh's condition improved quickly. He started to regain sensation in his feet, then his hands, and soon enough, the doctors pushed him to perform advanced mobility tasks. When they told me I could start walking, I was kind of tripping at them, like, you guys are out of your mind if you think I can walk. But they kind of, like, pushed me to start walking, and every day I've just been getting so much better. And... Josh is now back in Hawaii with his family, friends, and loved ones. He plans to continue his recovery process and get his body and mind back to 100%. They're saying a full recovery. There's no real time frame on this. They tell me it's kind of just every person's different with this type of injury. From what I understand, it could be anywhere between four months to a year, which is a pretty big difference. But I don't know, in my head, my goal is six to eight months if I could kind of be back to 100%. Pretty much any day I can do any new little thing, whether it's open up a water bottle or just brushing my teeth. It's just like, been really, really cool. Really stoked to see how far I've came from just a couple of weeks ago. As far as surfing, well... I'm not really too worried about getting back into the water anytime soon. Incidents like these have a way of affecting not just the injured parties, but also the people in their orbit. Just listen to this strange sensation that Mason Ho, a self-professed tube addict, experienced after Josh's injury. And then the next day it was supposed to be way bigger and better. And some part of my body was like, there's no way I'm missing it. There's no way I'm missing it. So, so I actually woke up at dark, drove down the super tubes again, walked down there at dark, and it was all foggy. The next day it was all foggy and like, fucking eight feet or six foot like like maybe double the size of the day before and i remember i walked down the beach i don't know if i suited up or not but i walked down the beach and sat there i watched it for like an hour and, and seen everyone paddling out and everyone getting barreled and stuff and i just didn't even do it i think i just sat there and yeah i'll meet you out there a couple guys came up oh let's go let's go i'm like yeah i'll meet you out there i'll meet you out there and then and then yeah, eventually when no one was looking, I just told him, like, let's get out of here, you guys. I just can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Thanks, Mikey. Thanks, Josh. And thanks, Mason. That's what we've got for this week. Please don't forget to, se- please don't forget to send your surf scenes in. And don't feel like you need to set your house on fire to qualify for a surf scene or almost kill your neighbor or your cat or any other horrific activity. It can be it can be something small. All the surf scenes count and I would love to punish you. See you next week. <laughs>